Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. So, Firefly, we have been calling it a Joss Whedon show, and that's generally how it's regarded. Um, this is also, but we have to talk. This episode, Bushwhacked, was written by Tim Minear. It's the first episode that doesn't really have Joss Whedon directly involved in the writing or directing. And I think it's the first, it's better than the last two episodes we've had. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, one of the things I remember you saying towards the beginning of this, of us talking about this was you don't like the Reavers. Um, yes. You think they're a, so. I think they're problematic and I will bring up exactly why I think they're problematic later because I figured it out in this episode. Yeah. And I think I kind of figured out some things about it too, because I actually kind of really like the way the Reavers are used in this episode. And this is frankly an episode where we don't actually see Reavers. We see the effects of them and they're, you know, Things are talked about them, but I think, frankly, Tim Minear understands how to use them a lot better than Joss Whedon does. Tim Minear is making them seem like this almost unknowably horrible thing that happens. Yeah. They're, they're used more – I mean this is a very philosophical episode in, in, in its underpinnings. This is about um, – all of the characters are dealing with the experience of the void in a lot of ways. This is a – Part of the background for Firefly is that mankind has gone into space and has found no sentient life out there, um, as opposed to it's not even really brought up. Yeah, it's but but that you know that's I think a very you know Star Wars people get, went into space and they found there are all these other aliens and civilizations and stuff, and that certainly gives a certain philosophy behind Star Trek between between the ways that. You know, humanity has to interact with aliens. Yeah. Here, humanity has gone into the cosmos and there is nothing. It's not like, you know, humanity is kind of expanding its territories, but it's not like it's expanding it against anything else. Well, I think, okay, so I, I want to talk about the Tim and Nier stuff, but uh, I also want to talk about this because Firefly to me works better when in the same way that I think a show like Battlestar Galactica works and you know maybe at some point yeah. uh, down the line we'll we'll actually do that show on this podcast but it, because as I understand it, it they decided to the, the reasons why they left earth are unclear it sounds like there are still people on earth perhaps it was environmental you know problems perhaps it was people just wanting to leave we don't know right and yeah, so they used the phrase earth that was which is suggests a lot of things for example that it's not there anymore i but. kind of get the impression i mean this is my impression of mm -hmm. that statement but i kind of take that much less literally i kind of take that as Earth is so far in the past that it's kind of taken on this sort of mythical yeah. property to, to, to people that live in this solar system. So as I understand it, you know, it's not really that they've gone out into the cosmos or into the universe. It's that they went out there. I don't think that they have faster than light travel in this, no, in this universe. I think that they went in sleeper ships to another specifically to another solar system that they thought would have a planet that they could live on and then they're kind of terraforming the moons and all the other planets in the solar system so the fact that they haven't found alien sentient of life course. is not that surprising to me because they've and never gone out and sort of like explored in the no, way that star trek maybe, is about they've maybe gotten the few the first you know a few i would say there's more than just a solar system but you know Several neighboring ones, for example. But no, it's very clear that it's one. Solar it is system. only one. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I, I must have missed that part. But anyway. Um, I don't think it's clear at this point, but I remember it okay. from, from Serenity, the movie. And frankly, it is possible that you know the seven-season arc of Serenity, uh, of Firefly, might have been season four. Suddenly, they do come up against another civilization, and that's a sea change, for example. But you can definitely see a, a, a Joss Whedon show yes. doing something like that. But either way, at this point, people have gone and they have found nothingness out there. They haven't found any answers to questions. And this episode is really dealing with how the different characters deal with that revelation. I mean, yeah. one of the things about, for example, Buffy was very – one of the strengths of the show, one of the things a lot of people liked about it was – and frankly, that went on the nose at some points, but – a lot of the different monsters represent kind of the problems of adolescence. And then Angel, to another degree, was, you know, about the problems of adulthood. You know, that point when you've graduated school and you're now on, out on your own. Um, another Tim and Nier show, I believe. Yes. Firefly isn't quite as literal about its problems. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like we're dealing with monsters which are representing, you know, life in your 30s, for example. Right, or anything right. like that. But I would say what's going on is a little more subtle is that – I mean this is – it's this – this is this episode we're seeing it much more strongly than the previous two. Sure. Um, but everybody's kind of dealing with the basic problem of existentialism in this episode. How do you create meaning when you've found that the world is meaningless? And so you have people like Shepard Book who are turning to God. You know, they're almost a kind of – you know Kierkegaard figure who is you know th- you know the the universe is violent and meaningless and you know there is no hammer but there is a divine power over there. People like Malcolm uh, believe that you know the universe is meaningless but we've got to make our own way through it and our choices you know are what matters. Zoe is somebody who is doing the job and having her fa- her husband and having her friends. Um, Inara is trying to find meaning in art. So you have all of these characters who are. You know, getting – dealing with the concept of annihilation in very different ways. And so the Reavers in this episode are – take. you know, literally they don't really make that much sense. I'm not sure if psychologically that's actually how things work. But we're told that – being told that these are people who went into the void of space, saw nothingness, and went absolutely insane and lost all of their humanity – makes a very strong philosophical statement. Some people see violence and become violent people themselves. Some people see violence and use it to be compassionate. You know, things like that is what the Reavers are. I, when- well, so here, here's the thing. I, don't, I, I kind of agree with you and kind of disagree with you, but I think that I want to go back to this question of, of, of Tim Minear at this yeah. point. Because the thing that I really find interesting about Firefly in this third episode is – you know, so generally speaking, you know, do you know how a television writing room works? Not particularly. Okay. So, and, and this is kind of for the audience too, and this is something that I'm very interested in. You know, I, I I like movies. I'm a movie person, but I also really like television as well, and I'm interested in how television works, which is very different from how yeah. movies are made. I mean, frankly, so, most of my knowledge of a TV writer's room is stuff like 30 Rock, for example. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know exactly, you know, if every show works like this, but I think that this is very similar to how a lot of TV writers room works where they break, they come up with episode ideas, they come up with story ideas and then they get assigned to people to write. So it's not really like 
Tim Minear came up with this idea himself. Yeah. He may have. I don't know. But in general, that's how things work in a TV writer's room. So, so you get you the, the the actual story or the plot is usually you know either someone's idea or the writer's room kind of hashes it out, and then you know story story uh, uh, get assigned to people. So in other words, there's a half dozen you know ten people in the room. Somebody says we need to have an episode explaining Reavers. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if they found a a ship that had been attacked by reavers and you know there's a survivor all right tim you know that's your that's what you're well and i think tonight. tim Minear would be the person because he's the showrunner so the yes. showrunner would generally decide the story uh, uh you know um who, who would be assigned the, of course the, the script writing to yeah but... of that of that of that story so he would assign it to himself essentially yeah now buffy was very much joss whedon show he was the showrunner on that at least for the first i think five or six seasons until marty Knoxon took it over in the seventh season which, and made it wonderful you know uh, and and Tim Minear was mostly responsible for Angel, as I understand it. So Joss Whedon, because Angel and Buffy were running, I think Angel started in the third season of Buffy third or the or fourth, fourth season yeah. of Buffy. So there was a lot of overlap and Joss Whedon didn't want to leave Buffy. And I think he left actually, I think he left Buffy in the seventh season to develop Firefly. If I'm not, I think the timeline works out because yeah. I think the final season of Buffy ended in 2002. I want to say or 2003. Maybe. I was in. It was a year, maybe at most two years beforehand. Yeah. So, so you have to remember that I think that at this point Buffy was in its last season because this was 2002. Firefly was 2002. So you had Buffy in its last season. You had Angel, I think, in its third or fourth season, and you had this new show. So Joss Whedon was pretty like stretched then at this yeah. point. So Tim and I guess left Angel to go to work on Firefly and Joss Whedon was not, he was the co-creator of the show and he was kind of like the, the guy who would check in and, and do things, but he wasn't the showrunner. He wasn't the person who was making these decisions. So yeah, I think you're right. I think you see in, in both the pilot Serenity and in the second pilot, the train job, which I believe were both co-written with Joss Whedon and Tim and Pilot was all Whedon, both written and directed. The train job was co-written. I okay. don't know who directed it, but so in that case, you know, you see that that there are kind of some interesting competing ideas yeah. about what the show is going to be. And I think you're right. I think Bushwhacked is a much better episode of television, and it's a really good episode of the show. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good episode of the show for what it indicates about the characters, what it indicates about this setting. And, you know, where the show might go down the line. Yeah. I think this is the first episode that makes me miss or, or sort of regret the fact that Firefly, you know, was canceled, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would – the Alliance officer that we see on this, he would be an amazing recur, you know, once every – you know, once or twice a season they have a run-in with him. Yeah. He, I mean, he's – we we talked a little about we don't quite know what the alliance is and what we do in the pilot. They're just, you know, complete a- – in the train job, no. We, you know, the one commander we see is just a total asshole. But this guy – I mean the interrogation scene is wonderful in this episode. But uh, not only is the main cast, you know, showing off kind of – it's a very clear who these people are. But the way that the which is also another way to re reintroduce the characters again. Well, I do seem to remember there being a Whedon quote or something where he said like your pilot's really your first four or five episodes, which you know, yeah, you are still establishing. But this is the first where the universe feels established. I would yeah, say. yeah, and I think it's also. And I didn't remember this, and I, I, I think maybe every episode of the show starts this way. I don't know, but they have that opening. I didn't remember either. Narration with book, kind of saying, yeah. you know, 
we went out in the space and now we have this, but you know, and it's like, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I forgot that the show did that. I guess it makes sense because you're still at that weird time where people were not catching every episode. This was kind of, you know, pre DVR and kind of things like that. So, uh, and I mean, also, I mean that, that in the nineties was much more common. Buffy had that kind of an Buffy intro, had if you that, remember yeah. it. Yeah. Buffy, I mean, I'm watching, it's weird. I'm watching the 100 right now, which is actually a really good show, surprisingly. And um, it's kind of a shame because it's network television and nobody watches network television anymore. <laughs> but it, it did kind of, uh, actually, the first season started out with the sort of, you know, last week on the 100. And yeah. uh, this episode, they've completely dispensed with that. And I think part of it is a time thing. You know, if you look at this, you know, TV shows have also gotten a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are episodes of the 100 that are like 40 minutes long. Um, you know, episodes of, you know, TNG or, or DS9, for example, are 44, 45 minutes. And episodes back in the 60s of like Star Trek yeah. or, you know, a lot of other Bonanza, you know, there were 50 minutes. So you're losing more and more time. So as that happens, of course, they're dispensing yeah. with a lot of the stuff that they feel is maybe not that necessary. But and, and frankly, and it, that gives a I, I, I mean, one of the points in the book, Everything Bad is Good for You, is that TV was able to become much more complex when you had stuff like DVR and then buying it on DVD or, you know, yeah. however. And so, you know. There is a degree to which somebody who is watching the 100, they're just going to assume you know because you have – at this point, you're able to. And, you know, and I think it's – it's uh, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, that this episode really indicates maybe that – I don't remember a lot. Like I said in, in the first episode of, mm-hmm. of Tuning In, I, I don't remember individual episodes of Firefly that well. And I'll be interested to see if the episodes kind of revisit different points of interest in the pilot or the train job, kind of different points of interest in the universe, because this really does seem like the Reaver episode. Yes. I don't remember that there's another one. Maybe there is. I look. I honestly, I looked through the. Uh, I skimmed through the rest of the season, and I don't. I think this is the only other Reaver TV episode. Of course, the movie is all about the Reavers. Frankly. I would say the fact that the movie, if we were just watching the series, the Reavers would be a very minor point. Yeah, and I think that the Re- I have a problem with the Reavers. Okay. And I think that the issue I have with the Reavers is the setting. Okay. Firefly is very, very explicitly leaning heavily on being a Western. Mm-hmm. And to me, the Reavers kind of read as this universe is Indians. And I, we- I think it's a problem. Like, because... Well, I would say... I I don't know if they do because it's not... There's no analog for them other than that. I mean, there's no way that, you know, if you you take the the Western uh, motif literally, of course, you have Firefly crew and you have all of the sort of like you know, uh, people that they do jobs for as sort of these, you know, Butch Cassidy kind of figures, you know, robbing trains and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. You have, you know, sheriffs on these worlds. You have kind of the miners. You have that kind of stuff. So so each kind of like border moon or border town or whatever is is essentially a Western town. Yeah. Then you have the Alliance, which, I mean, very literally, they don't call them the feds in this episode, but they actually call them the feds, which kind of bothers me too because it's kind of lazy. But anyway... So you have that as kind of a stand-in for you know the federal yeah. government of America. And the Reavers are an external threat that is ever-present and kind of fun. I mean, I don't think that they're mm-hmm. you know literally supposed to represent Indians, but I think that they do kind of... They, they, they serve a similar they, function. Yeah. They're just a generic... See, it's the one thing that I would, I would say that... 
Because it's not as if the Reavers are natives of dif- of these different planets and humanity is trying to, out- you know, while we while nobody in the setting really knows the origins of the Reavers or nobody has studied, frankly, there have been, part of the implication is that nobody's actually seen them and lived to tell the tale. All that they've done is found ships like the one they do in this episode, for example. Right. And so... There is a degree to which they are horror stories because, you know, every so often somebody will salvage a ship and there will be some really fucked up stuff in it. Or they'll see a ship that's really weird and, you know, not – but – Well, and that's my problem with the Reavers too is that they're essentially – they're essentially Indians and they're also boogeymen. And – Yeah. Logically, they make absolutely no sense. There's – I mean they say they've lost their minds. They don't know what they're doing. They're running without – you know, radiation protection. Yeah. They do, and it's like if they were actually insane, how would they operate a? No, spaceship? and I know, and like, I, and this and is I the problem they, I have with it is like if they've it, they they and, and well, it's not even that they're insane. They say that they've lost all civilization. They're 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 they're, they're basically feral humans, and it's like what? Yeah. How do they operate spaceships? <laughs> I guess I guess part of the thing is that you know I have seen Serenity, which again deals with the Reavers and. You know, this is a very interesting point I'm in where I now know what the ending of a series is, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. But Serenity does deal with the origins of the Reavers, and I almost wonder if you had asked Tim at this point of this episode, if you'd asked Tim and Nier, and if you'd asked Joss Whedon separately, what are the Reavers? They would both have a different explanation for you. And frankly, maybe Tim and Nier's would have made more sense for this. Again, the, he, we're, we're see, what we're seeing of the Reavers, we haven't seen any of them. The only one that we've actually seen is this one guy who actually I, – the episode basically says he wa- he watched whatever, you know, killed all those people, hung them on a chain, and that would mess somebody up. Um, we can I, – I, I it's, guess- not, it's not even that. It, it seems that they – the Reaver, it's it's kind of implied that the Reavers, they think the Reavers specifically left this man alive as a some yeah. sort of sleeper agent or warning. This is how people are turned into Reavers. Like, it's all very weird. And yeah, it's and- not even that, you know, it, it's kind of implied. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the episode is that it deals with a lot of really horrible stuff yes. and it doesn't ever really explicit explicitly stated outright mostly because nobody really knows what the reavers did or what's yeah. going on but it's kind of implied that he was forced to watch the reavers torture these people essentially assumedly you know if if what they say about reavers in the previous two episodes is true you know they're raping people while they're alive yeah. and cutting them and you know even if this guy just managed to hi- even if this guy managed to successfully hide in that vent for the entire you know, that would still traumatize him beyond anything because, you know, whatever they did well, it's, ended, it, ended in a bunch of dead people strung up on a chain. It, so it's it, Malcolm seems to think that he saw what they did. Yeah. And I and I think that the show, at least at this point, you have to assume that Malcolm's interpretation no, 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 of no, no, events no. Are, are correct because at the end of the episode, he is the one that knows what is happening he's the one who tells the alliance commander that they have to go back to to yeah. fire, to serenity and, and find this guy and he's the one who says the, the reavers made him watch what they did and made yeah. him go insane like i don't see i don't see a way that the man who was hiding an event would go insane this way and that's fair and one of the uh you know 
also this thing with the booby trap, for example, that turns out. I guess what I'm what, what this is all leading me to is there is a lot of evidence in this episode that the Reavers are a lot more intelligent and deliberate than perhaps yeah. oh, people think yeah. they are. And again, given that so far in the setting, people have only heard horror stories. You know, this is Mal has spent you know years. He's been in random bars, and someone tells you, oh, my God, here, I found this ship, and all this is. So, now, you know, obviously, he's seeing this. He's he's adding this to all of his stories about Reavers. He's going to tell this story. I saw a chain with, you know, 100 bodies hung on it. Well, and also, I think that, that you know, w- what that makes me think is that the re- people telling themselves these things about Reavers are themselves constructing a narrative that yeah. makes sense to yes. them. Because they don't actually know what Reavers are like, and so... They are comforted by the fact that obviously these people have lost yeah. all vestiges of civilization. Obviously, these people are feral. Yeah. Because how could civilized people do this? I mean, we don't even. And, it, it, it's. It's not. There is nothing at this point that could say that this is just you know a bunch of Niska's goons, for example, or you know just any crime law. You know, just any groups of just thugs who are just trying to get their kicks by doing you know horrible things to people, and that there are. You know, we, they talk – they and we talk about the Reavers as if, the, as if they are a monolithic force. And of know? course they're not. I mean I don't think that there's any way that they could be. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, they could be. Again, well, it, I it's, like that the episode – but the episode – the episode is almost going out of its way to make the Reavers impossible to comprehend. Well, and I don't want to – I don't want to you know beat this analogy into the ground, but I yeah. think in a, in a similar way to how you know Americans view Indians as a monolithic yeah. entity when, of course, they were not. No, and that that is that is a very fair point. I mean, it would be a, a frankly, what if the, what if it turned out that this was you know, for example, the Reavers turn out turned out to be an, an alien force that was is threatened by you know humanity coming, and this is their you know, retaliation towards that, you know, for example, you know, take the, that, that Which, to be clear, that's not true. But no, that, that doesn't turn out to be what the case is. But for example, that could be an explanation for this, a, a, a thing which would deal with the con, you know, which would deal with the fact that they, they do seem to have several resonances towards, you know, the way America actually dealt with its, you know, its native people. And well, I th- you know, and it's, but, it's funny because you look at this and, and I think that, that, Firefly really slots into a, um, a sort of a reactionary period of tele- televised science fiction because yeah. it, it very explicitly, I think Joss Whedon did not want to have aliens in the show because he wanted to create sort of a verisimilitude. He, mm-hmm. and the same way that Battlestar Galactica, you know, doesn't feature any aliens because Ron yeah. Moore, you know, that's not really part of Battlestar Galactica as I understand. I've never seen the old show, but he kind of jettisoned a lot of, of what, Battlestar Galactica was and kind of boiled it down to humans and Cylons. And this was kind of a reactionary period in television science fiction where a lot of the old traditional stuff, you know, Babylon 5 and Doctor Who and and Star Trek, of course, you know, the big elephants in the room here. Uh, Well, maybe not Babylon 5, but, you know, Babylon 5 definitely had aliens. It was in that sort of vein of science fiction. At the same time, yeah. And so aliens in, you know, people in funny makeup playing aliens was kind of seen as silly. And that always annoyed me because it it's very kind of it's a churlish attitude. Mm-hmm. It's sort of you know, and that's kind of what annoyed me about Firefly initially too, is that Joss Whedon seemed to have a chip on his shoulder about science fiction and wanted to make a science fiction show that was very anti- antithetical to a lot of science fiction that had come before. And you know, his show was canceled. So <laughs> you know, but I think that, and now you kind of see that going away. 
a little bit because, uh, you know, a show like Defiance, for example, which I stopped watching because I didn't know where it was going and I was bored. But that has alien, you know, that has people yeah. in funny makeup. You I know? mean, and so I think part of it is that. But I think what I was getting at oh. is, is uh, uh, you know, this is because Battlestar Galactica was around the same time of Firefly. The idea was not to have aliens as the external threat. The idea was to have the creation of humans as an external threat because the Reavers are humans mm. and the Cylons were the creation of the humans in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. So it's kind of like it, it kind of slots in very nicely with, I think, the time period as well, because, of course, Firefly was developed and Battlestar Galactica was developed you know, pre 9-11. But these shows, Battlestar Galactica specifically, I think, um, had a lot of post 9-11, you know, sort of horror in them. And it was a very weird time that that I think a lot of people don't really remember it very well. But I mean, it was a a very strange time. And I think that these shows were using that as a way to kind of work out some of the stuff as well. Well, to be fair, I mean, there was that was a that is one of the models of terrorism that, you know, that we have of understanding terrorism is that you have America be, you know, or at least the way, you know, post 9-11 style terrorism was uh, constructed that America is, you know, being imperialistic, doing, you know, shitty international policy, which, you know, causes resentment in other countries, which causes them to become terrorists as a way of letting America know in a way, um, obviously a very, you know, simplified version of how things actually go. But at the same time, you have this alliance breaking free and colonizing further and going out, and you have these things called the Reavers, which are appearing almost as a natural uh, counter in the system, you yeah. know, to curb that. Well, and also I think, you know, to kind of bring this back to, to this episode of Firefly is that the the alliance doesn't really... I mean, he kind of poo-poos the idea that there's yeah. the Reavers. I mean, you know, and that's kind of the thing, I think, is that... And that's another way that I think this episode is really smart, is it goes a long way towards showing exactly how the attitudes, the culture, the beliefs of the yeah. Alliance and sort of these border planets are, are, are diverging, you know, because the Alliance is very big. Ba- the Alliance well, doesn't really believe in ghosts. The Alliance doesn't believe in Reaver. But I have to be, they yeah. don't think they exist yeah. and they serve a purpose for the, the Firefly crew and they serve a purpose mm-hmm. for the border worlds that the Alliance doesn't perhaps need or, well, or 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 use the thing for you know there's that bit when the alliance commander says do you know how many you know when mal says you know the reavers did it you know he laughs and he says do you know how often i hear that because it's you know and you can imagine how many times is there a crime oh well my ship was taken by reavers and they killed that guy you know and it, you know as a generic boogeyman there's something that you know probably a lot of people who do bad things in space blame things on. And yeah, so, that's true. you know, all the evidence points to, you know, Mal and his crew killed these people to steal their stuff. They're a bunch of scavengers. He uses the phrase vultures, you know. he. Uh, so he, this is just another example of this. You know, he – Mal says, you know, this is your first tour of duty, and he doesn't contradict him, which suggests, yeah. you know, yeah, he is, you know, probably did really – He's a little baby face yeah, captain. He did really well in the inner planets, and now he's this big tour in the outer planets, and he's actually – you know, he's ne- – you know, the suggestion is that Alliance people who have been out for years – would recognize exactly what the situation is. You yeah, know, the fact that yeah. when Mal says you need to just blow this up and get the hell out of the way, you know, he he says it almost as if he thinks there is a bit of a chance that the Alliance person would agree with him. 
Well, and at the end of the episode, yeah. the, the episode ends with the Alliance blowing up the ship. Because he finally actually has come face to face with whether or not the man in this episode is a reaver or he has just become traumatized to the point of you know psychosis is irrelevant. He has seen how dark the edges of space can actually get. Yeah, and, but yeah. frankly, I think that well, and I you know that that seeing that makes the alliance commander I think more diligent in his mission because I think the alliance sees the outskirts of space as this uncivilized while, and they're bringing the light of civilization to them. Yeah, though so the alliance commander is again, you know, you can see him being a recur throughout the series. You can see him being very, you know, almost. You know, Ahab obsessed, you know, with destroying Reavers and his well, next and appearance. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that the Reavers are not going to be a threat to the Alliance. No. I mean, if an, if, a, if, if a Reaver ship shows up, and the, I mean, the Alliance is just going to be able to blow it out of the water very easily. Yeah, just you between know? between training and, you know, and frankly, just limitless resources. You know, the a Reaver on the Firefly, there's nine people. It's going to, you know mow through them quickly you know or would it i don't know well I mean, that's the other question about the reavers as they seem yeah. to kind of and again i think this is more indicative of the ways in which they're constructing a narrative to, yeah. to comfort themselves more than anything else but they seem to say oh well if a reaver comes to this ship we're going to all be raped yeah. and killed and murdered and it's like but either way you know maybe not i mean the the, the ship the guys that, have guns the sh- and that's the thing the ship that's attacked in this episode is a civilian ship you know where we see toys not around. even a civilian ship it's a it's that's a it's a colony train yeah. So, you know, there, there's the, family, children. Aboard. These are farmers and down and outs and people who are, yeah. you know, probably, you know, and so, yeah, they, they aren't able to fight. But a Reaver gets, you know, a Reaver crew gets, you know, on an alliance ship where everybody has guns and training. You know, it's not it's going to be put down quickly. Frankly, that might be a it's hard to watch the show without imagining episodes, but I would love to see a horror episode on a on a, an alliance ship where the Reavers do attack. Yeah, well, that may have happened at some point. Yeah, you know, in the future, if the show had, had exactly gone, had it gone more than fourteen a... episodes, you know. And I think too, the other thing that that is interesting about the way that the Reavers work in this episode is that um, the the ship, the colony ship, is is attacked by the Reavers in the middle of their dinner or their lunch or yeah. whatever, and they're they're let, you know they're saying oh they left in a hurry and they're not actually they didn't leave they're all in the ship. And what that tells me, and they, all the supplies are still there, yeah. and that you know, of course, is a reason for Serenity to stay there and and establish that the Alliance is going to find them, and you know, all that kind of stuff. The plot mechanism, but it also establishes that the Reavers are not interested in what the ship is carrying yeah. at all. They didn't take any of the food. They didn't take any of the equipment. They're yeah. just you know, they're this kind of like raw violent force that is is essentially nihilism embodied yeah i mean i i found it frankly i really like the scene with jane in the kitchen just grabbing the rations you know and kind of snacking but it's like yeah that probably would be one of the most valuable things another ship would have for them um yeah this is not a universe with replication and so yeah even assume the reavers are just full-on sadists you know and, you know, don't have any interest in riches or, you know, frankly can't, you know, can't interact with anyone on black market, they would still be interested in food, one would think. And so, yeah, that makes it even darker. It does, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up is that I, I like the ways in which, you know, you said that this episode is really about each character kind of, you know, confronting the void of yeah. space. and. 
you know, very literally, of course, with Simon and, yeah. and River hiding outside of the ship, which is a great idea and a great visual. It reminds it, it, it has to be a homage to Empire Strikes Back, by the way. Um, Remember the, the scene where they're on the Empire ship and they're like clinging to the side. Uh, and it's, I mean, you yeah, know, maybe, that, that's yeah. essentially the same exact thing that they have on this. Like, it's a really nice. It's just it's not. It's not a ship. It's people. But yeah. But, but you know, still, it, it's a cute moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that it reminded me a lot of that. And you have, you know. A, a, but I think that, 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 you know, what I what I like about it is that, you know, River and Malcolm, River and Malcolm, River and Simon in that episode have very different reactions. To yeah. It. You know, Simon's reaction to the void of space is abject terror. And Rivers is just awe and delight. beauty. Delight. And delight. And, she, and I she, think, she thinks it's a ride. Like, she, you know, when they get on, she wants to do it again. Yeah, they, got, they come back in the ship and she says, can we go back out? And he's like, eh, maybe in a... No. You know, yeah. I like... But it's... it's And it's really interesting because that's actually the punchline of a metaphor that's being developed. First of all, you know, Simon has several moments with the suit when he's singing, you know, Mal gets suited up and he's saying, you know, there's just that thin strip of glass you know preventing you and then then he has that conversation with jane where they're talking about the body that they crashed into and jane says something about like yeah it's just you know a bit of you know it's floating in nothing and you know there's nothing in space you know and then it just you know crashes underneath us just like you and your sister you know and that's Jane's insult then jane you know does this trick we you know with him where he's in the suit you know and he doesn't need it and then finally, they are literally clinging to the underside of the ship, but this is the way that they're saving their life, and that's frankly the way that Mal saves them is by putting them in that position of junk clinging to the side of the ship. Yeah, and, and also let's not forget that that initially Simon puts the suit on wrong. Yeah. You know, that's what I like about the episode is that um, they they kind of lose at the end. You know, they, they, well, they, they don't exactly win. I think that, you know, he, if you look at the events of the pilot and you look at the events of the train job, I think you can come away with that and say, hey, the crew of the Serenity came out victorious. Yeah. In this episode, I don't know. It's kind of a draw. I think that yeah, they, they they lost their, their cargo that they took, but they come away with their ship. And but, their lives. But you, and their lives, <laughs> yeah. But you see the limits of that. You see that it's very easy for the Alliance to just swoop in and take it. And that's always going to be an ever-present force, perhaps, in the show and also that each character in a way gets to win and lose because yeah. simon for example um has the joke played on him he doesn't he's very scared of, of space he doesn't he's very i don't know if he's scared of it but i think he's very uncomfortable with the idea he's it, first... it was said i think in the first oh. episode that this is his first time yeah. in space but he also gets a chance to kind of get one over on jane where he's like yeah, dead bodies don't bother me. Like, I'm a doctor, dude. Like, yeah. it's fine. You know, uh, book, for example. And, and Frank, or when the guy texts him, yeah, he's huge. I don't know how you survive, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, book, for example, doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, but he 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 gets to give them a proper burial, a proper funeral. And he does make it clear, you know, the thing that separates fr- us from them is how we treat our dead you know and he is making a again that you know he's making an affirmation of humanity and of something even higher than humanity in the face of nothingness he can look out into the void of space but still see god yeah yeah exactly and i think that that's going and that's what the thing that i like about this episode a lot more than any of the others so far is that i'm getting a i'm getting a better sense of these characters as people i'm getting a better sense of what they're like, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, sort of what they do in the face of adversity. And 
I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the next, you know, a few episodes. Well, just a few, you know, a couple last points that I think, you know, need to be made. So we find out a little more about the Battle of Serenity Valley and how, you know, the ship got its name. You know, as we're told, it was one of the final battles of, you know, it, and it was the, you know, the Rebels Waterloo. You know, this was their final, you know, when they lost this battle, that was the end of the war. So which was the, what we saw at the beginning of the pilot episode. Um, and, and, and Mal has that line, you know, I don't think, you know, I may have been on the losing side, but I was, this doesn't mean I was on the wrong side, you know, or something like that. You know, he does still feel that he made the morally right choice. And, you know, as you said, at the end, they kind of get to lose, but I really like the last line of the episode. Um, he says, you know, well, the Alliance couldn't let us profit. That wouldn't be civilized. Um, it is a sarcastic line because, you know, obviously this is a bigger person coming in and taking, you know, what they did and, you know, kind of making this a waste of a time. But at the same time, I mean, he uses the word vultures, you know, the, the Alliance commander, when he sees the smuggling ship, calls them a bunch of vultures. What Mal and the crew were going to do was profit off of the death and torture of about 100, you know, 50 to 100 people. And so even though one doesn't like, you know, the alliance at the end and, you know, they are a bully in their own way, there is a weird – You can kind of see the yeah, point there is a, a weird bit. immorality. You know, it, it, this show doesn't make any bones about, you know, what Malin they, they do are, is illegal and oftentimes immoral. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not like this was a bunch of criminals who got what they deserved and, you know, they're just – happened to be in the, you know, they just happened to find and, you know, pick over what's left. You know, again, these were families. These were kids. These were people who wanted to start a new life. And, and that's another thing, of course, is it, it, it reestablishes that space is dangerous. Yeah. In, in a way that I don't think that we've seen a lot in other science fiction television oh, yeah. shows, at least, you know. Um, yeah, I think so. Well, if you have any comments on this episode of the podcast, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. You can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Tuning In Show. And please leave us an iTunes review since we are a new podcast. We need new reviews. We know you want to give them. All right. Next week, we are going to be talking about the episode Shindig, which sounds like a lot of fun. It is a fun episode. Is it? It's a Kaylee episode. Oh, I like Kaylee. Yeah, you do. All right, we'll see you then. The Mac, why do you...